0: All right, and there we go, and we're live. And good evening tonight, the uh, next V-Brown Bag Broadcast in the Domain 1.0 Series, Part 2. Let me just clear this. Designing Highly Available, Cost-Efficient, Fault Toleration, Scalable Systems, with Tim Carr as our featured presenter. Tim. Yay, Tim.
1: How's it going? (laughs) Thanks for having me. And, uh, and I apologize in advance. that I, It's so hard to follow such a great radio voice. My goodness.
0: <laughs> That's what the, the double Cs have in common.
2: <laughs> so a couple of quick housekeeping
0: notes. I'm sorry. Sure. Uh, quick notes. Get in on the conversation. Uh, at vbrownbag, at brownbag, uh L-A-T-A-M at vbrownbag, E-M-E-A, and at vbrownbag, Jr., Twitter hashtag, uh, crosshatch, vbrownbag, professionalvmware.com, brownbags, uh, APAC, every other Thursday, 10 p.m., and ZDT. Where's that?
2: <laughs> New, New Zealand time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's e- a joke from Alistair. <laughs> E-M-E-A, VCP, and V-Series, Tuesday, 7 p.m., BSAT, uh, BST. Uh, the uh, Latin American, Thursday, 7 p.m. Pacific, U.S. Uh, Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Central, 8.30, us. 8 30, us. <laughs> tonight's guest, Tim Carr, at Timmy Carr, www.timcarr.net. And tonight's hosts are Chris Malhoit myself, and uh, Chris Williams at Mistwire, http//mistwire.com.
2: Hello, everybody. All right. Let's, uh, let's kick it on over to Mr. Carr.
0: And away you go,
2: sir.
1: All right. Well, let me figure out how to share my PowerPoint stuff here, because that's what everybody's wanting to see. Um, and at this point, I believe we should be close to good to go. Give me two seconds to hit the play button.
2: All right. We can see your screen. Nope, oh, now we can't see your screen.
1: Uh, give me just a second. How's that?
2: Still can't see it. Nope, hmm. nope, still down. How
1: about now? Uh,
2: we, we, we had seen it previously before you changed something, and then it went okay. away. So.
1: You know what? You know I was using the slideshow uh, function. Just hit and play in my PowerPoint presentation there, and that didn't work. That's not all that big of a deal, though. If you can see that, is that all right at the moment?
2: No, no, uh, we we cannot we cannot see the presentation at all. It's uh, we're just we just have the splash screen.
1: Ah, uh, give me one second. How about now? go. Yeah. there you go.
2: There we, go. we got we go. it.
1: All right. That's perfect. Sorry about that, everybody. We have, we're all technical people, so we have to get over our technical difficulties, right? So just a quick introduction about me. Um, I'm an Ahedian, a small data center consulting company in the Midwest. Headquartered in Chicago, spent about three years at head helping customers consulting, so on and so forth. Um, I'm pretty deep in VMware tech, and you know, like everybody else, I'm here to learn the AWS technology. That's why I, you know, decided to be a part of this V Brown Bag thing uh, for this wonderful sport that we're doing. Uh, You know, besides uh, IT, I do a little bit of running with my German short-haired pointer who needs a lot of exercise. I play a little bit of trumpet, and I enjoy being told what to do around my house uh, by my fiancé. So uh, beyond that, uh, I'm a little obsessed with my Starbucks unsweet green iced tea, so if you ever see me walking around, you probably see me holding that cup. I apologize. It's kind of a habit. Um, Just some things that... uh, just some things to go over here I you know I included this from Nick's presentation earlier. I think we should probably have this in every uh, every presentation. These are some of the um things that you can go check out to help you on your path towards the AWS Solutions Architect exam. I like all of these and the one that I wanted to add to this list is actually uh you know a video series called a cloud.guru that you can go to and do online. I I find that video series incredibly valuable. I find that everybody learns differently, right? I mean, that's that's it's it's a great it's a great platform. Uh, the videos are concise about every service, and frankly, uh, I think it's worth every penny. It's not incredibly expensive to buy the video series. That you can buy a five pack to get you through to get you through the whole the whole gamut. Chris, uh, what's your take on that? Have you have you have you had some success with that? Have you used it as well?
2: Oh, absolutely! So it, the the very first thing in my study notes is, is a review of all of the materials that I used, and my my primary source was Ryan Cronenberg's acloudguru I mean, I, I absolutely loved that entire series.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's invaluable. I, I encourage everybody to pick that up. Um, I don't think that as a community, uh, with the number of uh, events that we have so far lined up here, we have the ability to cover everything. So I encourage you to check out all of these resources. Check out all of the white papers. Uh, definitely a cloud guru. Get 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 with that. Get on it and do it. It's worth it. Um. This is the basic blueprint for Domain 1 that we're covering today. Uh, if you watched last week, Nick, got, uh, Nick Collier from Ahead got on, and he kind of talked about some best practices around AWS architecture and then kind of gave a tour of, um, of each of the services, that he, you know, the, the more relevant services. We certainly don't have time to cover them all, uh, but he did a pretty good job of covering all those. Make sure you, you have a chance to review those. Today, where we're going to be focusing most of our time, though, um, is we are, uh, at, you know, this is Nick's presentation. Uh, today, it's, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, HA versus cost and RDS versus EC2 as far as databases go, and really what that gets into is, uh, you know, trade-off decisions and so on and so forth when when you're doing architecture, right? And so we're going to talk about how Amazon has said that they want you to consider uh, architecture when you're thinking about um, AWS as a cloud platform. And we'll get into that. We'll also kind of mishmash that with how we've typically done architecture within IT and, and talk about a few of the differences. Uh, and, and so let's let's get started and kind of jump into this. One other review slide that we had from last week that I want to make sure that we cover uh, talks about regions and more importantly availability zones. So let's just do a quick review of what region is and what an availability zone is because everybody really needs to understand this when we start talking about high availability in the platform. So. What we see here in the in the orange slash yellow circles are the are the regions within AWS. And this is where you can choose to spin up uh, spin up services and so on and so forth. Each of these regions are comprised of at least two availability zones. Those availability zones are a data center. Uh, and and the important thing to understand as far as your service is concerned within AWS is that the availability zones have High, uh, like like a like a high throughput, high bandwidth type uh, connectivity between the two of them. So and and high high throughput, high bandwidth, but also low latency between the two of them. So that services running in those data centers are very close to one another and can react uh, within milliseconds of one another. So truly designed so that you can scale your services within one region across different data centers, which are the availability zones. So once again, this kind of covers, you can see the region here comprised of at least two but a lot of times more availability zones within your environment. Um, It's really important to kind of understand and grasp that topic when we we start talking about HA. so let's, uh, let's dive into what Amazon RDS actually is, because it's kind of asked to cover RDS. Well, RDS is, as you know, a blue dot that kind of looks like it's playing Minecraft. So, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's, that's what it appears to be. Actually, it's not. It's, it's a managed database service, right? Um, and, and it's important to understand what that means when you say managed database service. It's truly a database in a box, right? Um, And what we mean by that is you buy that service, you have the capability of connecting to that service, that database service in a box, and it's running one of these predetermined platforms for you. Um, In this case, you've got MySQL, MariaDB, Oracle, Microsoft SQL Server, uh, and PostgreSQL. We've got Oracle twice in here because I thought that was super extra important as a typo. Um, You know, so uh, what does that mean, though, from an application owner perspective, right? Well, you know, so what that truly means is that RDS is going to provide you with with what you need at a bare minimum, which is that database service, right? And it's a relation relational database service as well. So there are different types of database platforms out there. Amazon certainly has other database platforms out there, but this really is the traditional, uh, you can think of it as almost a, an Excel spreadsheet type schema database service where you're looking at columns that are related to one another, right, within a database. So, so that's what we're talking about. What does it do for you? Well, it runs that engine for you, which is actually quite hard, right? If anybody's ever sat down and tried to configure even even one of the air quotes easier type of database platforms, you'll know actually getting the configurations that the database vendor wants you to get done correctly uh, on your on your virtual machine is actually quite hard. Like even for people working Microsoft SQL Server today, whenever I'm jumping in and looking at an environment for somebody, and, and they say, "Hey, what's wrong with it?" And, you know, I look at you know how how they've configured their disks and so on and so forth. You know, it's almost always some configuration best practice that's in there that's been missed that ultimately ends up uh, causing performance issues. Okay, that's great. With Amazon, they take care of that for you. They've, they've, they've squared it away. RDS covers all those best practices for you on the back end, and things are just going to work. Now, you give up some things when you do that, though, right? So what they're going to do for you uh, is they're going to manage your backups for you, and they're going to manage the patching for you, too. And That's important because you really don't get an opportunity to uh, have uh, so much say in in, in, in in your patch cycle or, you know, so much, say, in, in the version that you get to run. Uh, there are times when um, Amazon will come through and say, hey, we got to upgrade, and, uh, and, and that's that. And so you have to be, you're kind, of, uh, you're kind of giving up a little bit of control in your environment. Um, I guess the other thing that's kind of nice is that you get to scale. Um, the instances are resizable. Right, which is kind of different than if you don't go buy a server or something like that in your data center and put it in, or if you were to buy an EC2 uh, instance and install a database on it yourself. Um, and and like we saw in the previous slide, just jumping back there, I mean, if you look at the list, Oracle being on there twice because it's a super big hitter, but um, you can see that all of the big databases are really kind of supported in this model. If you can't get the type of support that you're uh, needing out of RDS, the chances are uh, your application is just a little more sophisticated, and you've been painted in the corner by running some commercial application that's you know an off-the-shelf application, or it's the it 's the kind of thing where uh, it 's the kind of thing where you just have needs that are that are beyond uh, beyond what Amazon's capable of doing, and then maybe you need to look at something uh, like a database platform so Chris would you so far is that is that on point as far as what you 're seeing with the RDS service have I missed anything why, why else uh, would you leverage RDS in your world? What are your thoughts there um, for
2: for our particular use case i mean it, it, uh, as always. Um, as, as an architect, the the answer is, and it's always, and it always frustrates people, but it depends. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it, no, it no, we're gonna get into the, that. Oh yeah, yeah. It, the the customer use case, um, you know, who, who who they have on site, uh, their their level of expertise, um, the, the the kinds of of systems that they're running, uh, it's 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 always it's always. Um, it's It's always an it depends answer if if you if you pointed me at a particular customer then i then I could speak more more eloquently to it um but we actually uh, did have a question that popped up um, in the interim um Alphonse was asking uh, this this was back when we were talking about a cloud guru um have you seen reviewed or looked at the linux academy a w s series i hadn't so i wasn't able to speak to it
1: no i had neither uh but you know as it, as um i i am of the opinion that there's, you can never have enough learning. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I'm sure it's good. I've seen other Linux Academy stuff, and it's usually right on point. So I can't imagine that it's not going to be uh, good. I would say check it out. Um, and you know, more importantly, share it. If you, if you enjoy your experiences with it, uh, post it out there on Twitter, your experiences with hashtag vBrownBag. Hey, I found you know, Linux Academy AWS course. It was great. Uh, check it out. Let's, uh, let's share that kind of information. I certainly haven't checked it out yet. Um, I really just focused on the Cloud Guru and some of the other online resources that I was able to find at the time, uh, but, but definitely share. Nice, very cool.
2: Uh, and Ankit is saying that uh, he reviewed Cloud Academy, and he said that he liked it. They have hands-on labs too with Learning Path. Uh, he is now, right now, tweeting a twenty-five percent off link. Thanks, Ankit. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, Ankit, that's awesome. Thank you, man.
2: All
1: right. So briefly, we talked about you know what do you get in the box, right? Manage patching, manage backups. Okay. Well, part of that. Uh, involves maintenance windows, right? So, uh, you know, RDS maintenance windows give you the opportunity to halfway have control uh, when a when a database is modified by Amazon, right? And and this can be a couple of things. This can be a related software patching, or it can be related to actually scaling your database instance class, right? Maintenance windows are generally thirty minutes in length. Um, if you don't select one, you're you're uh, you're define you're assigned one. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of interesting. I would say select one. And the other thing to note here that they don't really talk about in the documentation, but is kind of an ob like a oh well that's totally obvious, uh, is that um, your backup maintenance window and your actual uh, database maintenance window need to be two separate times. So think about that for a second. Right. Um, one thing you might want to consider is. Uh, getting a clean backup of your environment uh, prior to saying, okay, Amazon, now you can uh, proceed with your with your maintenance window. So one thing that I always like to do is making sure that I have my backup window precede my uh, actual maintenance window of an environment. Um, let's see here. Uh, oh yeah, backups are going to pause I/O in non-multi availability zone deployments uh, for 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 uh, your environment so that's important to understand uh, that means your RDS service will potentially uh, have a blip while a uh, backup uh, is out there uh, and, and running now there's a way to get uh, and that's on non multi availability zone deployment so the answer to that is uh, don't do that um, give yourself a little more uh, capability and use a multi availability zone deployment it's uh, as a matter of fact it's how we can add Uh, high availability to RDS. And really what it does, uh, what a multi-availability zone deployment does, is it creates... Um, a replicated standby instance in a different availability zone. But there's another word up there that's kind of important, it's synchronously replicated. Uh, we're going to talk about synchronous and asynchronous in a second, but it's important to understand here that we're talking about maintaining the state of individual rights to your database here. Uh, one one thing that happens on one side will be replicated to the other side before, uh, before you are responded to saying that that right actually occurs in your database. Um, so. Under the covers, uh, a failure of a primary node uh, within your multi-AZ deployment uh, will cause uh, RDS to fail over to the standby node without any... Uh, without any end user intervention, right? And these are these these happen for a bunch of common scenarios, right? So so loss of network connectivity to a primary, loss of uh, availability in an availability zone. You know, a problem with the storage on ones on one side of your RDS environment that will cause an automated failover, uh, which is uh, which is a nice feature to have and something I I can't really think of, uh, in my mind, like, if I'm trying to architect for high availability, this is definitely a, yeah, just do it kind of sort of scenario. There are other options out there as well, though, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a second. Um, during failover, it's important to know that the primary node is actually not accessible, so there is that blip, right? Um, so we can get around that blip for our web applications if we want to try to be you know 100% available in our environment. Uh, by adding uh, something called a read replica, but that doesn't get us um, that doesn't get us write capabilities for applications. It's important to understand that a read replica uh, is is something where we can actually just leverage a, a data a replica of the database um, um, as close to real time data as possible, um, at but uh, in another site. Uh, but it's, it, it's not writable, and that's why we call it a read replica. And let's just talk about that. Uh, for just a second. So a read replica is a separate DB instance, right, from our uh, primary RDS instance, um, where we have an asynchronous replication. So in this slide here, I've got all caps, async equals lag, and what that means is... Um, that data in that database may not be completely up-to-date with what you have in your primary site. Remember when we talked previously about the multi-site uh, synchronous replication earlier? That's actually uh, real-time, replicated, and you're going to have consistency within uh, within within availability zone one and availability zone two. Uh, with a read replica, it's potential that you will not have 100 percent consistency within your database. So. Um, it's important to consider the type of app that you would want to le- leverage this for. Uh, there are scenarios where this would certainly be appropriate. Like if I was having a, you know, I don't know something like a, like a, you know, like like, a, like an Amazon.com for example. You want to go on, you want to buy stuff. Uh, Amazon perhaps would update their catalog with items that that would be available right well for performance it's okay if maybe not every single item is available to you 100 percent of the time what it would not be appropriate for would be the current stock of those items right you would want to have a real-time feed of is that item available and so on and so forth so that's an example of in one scenario the current stock where you'd want to use something like synchronous and then the other side of it uh, the asynchronous thing where for performance you might want to show people hey what you have in the store right um, so so a couple different use cases there and a couple of different ways to talk about availability within RDS um, I've gone through a whole a whole swath of stuff here I realized that we have any questions so far Chris are we are we chugging
2: along okay uh, we, we do. We do have one question, um, a, a, and actually a, a comment too. Um, mm-hmm. for, for those for those that are getting ready to take the test in in the near future, I would recommend looking at the number of read replica instances that you can spawn off of an existing uh, database. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, and and. Uh, the, the number of, of async models that you can have um, that, that was something that came up, um, and a question from Brian Watson is, I did not think Amazon managed backups only if you configure it to use glacier right they don't magically do backup management right uh, right
0: um,
2: well so uh, they so Amazon.
1: You have potential to do backups within your environment, and it's something that is configured with you. You do have your backup window as part of RDS, um, and that is something that you can configure. Um, As far as automatically doing it, I'm not sure if it automatically does it, but I always configure backups in my environment, so that's why I'm not sure. Um, That's part part of my standard process. Chris, what are your thoughts there?
2: It, it, mine too uh, you you turn it on and uh, you, you then start having backups um, in, in terms of automatically doing it no I mean you, you have to specify yes start start backing up this instance um, brian if you 're playing with like the free tier then then starting doing your backups would actually start incurring cost um, but uh, since i 'm playing with the free tier i, do, I don 't so I just uh, I, I leave mine turned off as well.
1: Yeah, my MySQL database is being backed up uh, currently in AWS, and I just remembered it being a hey, turn this thing on, and you have your access to your backups.
2: Oh, Brian Krausen just uh, just spoke up. It will do it automatically in RDS. They're like snapshots. You pay for the yep. storage of each snapshot.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's, it's kind of what I thought, but in my experience, so I run my blog on AWS, and I and um, my MySQL is RDS, and it was it. Going back to backup for me was as simple as just going back to the, uh, going back to the less backup in the chain. I honestly couldn't remember uh, setting that up. I knew it was really easy, and I was like, "Backups, yes, go." So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there you go. So, you know, one of the things that we wanted to talk about uh, as well on on today's, uh, on today's spiel, I guess you could say, is kind of architectural trade offs. And to get into that, I wanted to first discuss kind of how I think when I'm designing a solution. Um, Like I said, I kind of come from the come from the virtualization background, and there's um, there's I don't think from a virtualization background, from a DVA perspective, from a from a developer perspective, I really don't think there's any difference in how you need to think. Um, I think there's different just different semantics. And so because this uh, associate level uh, cert is, is kind of the beginning cert for a lot of people when it comes to things, I wanted to make sure that everybody had a level playing field with how to start thinking on how to design architecturally. So for me, uh, that starts with the total fundamentals, right? Ramps, right? This is, this is standard stuff. Everybody's done this, but you've got recoverability, availability, manageability, performance, and security now I'll tell you right off uh, right off right off the top that Amazon kinda takes a different view uh, for how they want you to see this just a little bit but I wanted to tell you how we see this in typical and uh, tip or how I've always seen this and and this is one of the acronyms that I've always used to kinda hit all the big points right so uh, let's talk let's kinda talk through um, how we kinda map this to your environment right so when we talk about those aspects recoverability availability manageability performance and security we want to talk about mapping them to every aspect of your infrastructure right your compute your network your storage all of those things right so each one of those components needs to be manageable available recoverable have performance be secure right Um, and i think it's kind of easy to see why we want these things right security target right performance well our app has to perform well or we're getting calls at 2 a.m. in the morning manageability well I actually have to be able to manage that thing how how can I configure it so on and so forth so it seems obvious but I wanna let I wanted to give people the opportunity to just consider each of these things and this is a really good tick box I find for being able to find flaws in designs or you know maybe flaws in your environment today take a step back look at what you're running does it hit all these things Um, I you know it's always a good exercise now, um, let's talk about recoverability. That's, that's a function of ramps. We talked earlier about two different options for recoverability within an environment. Uh, one being uh, one leveraging uh, multi-AZ type uh, scenario, being able to synchronously replicate in an environment. And the other was talking about uh, uh, read replica, right? Um, so so I, think that's kind of, I think that's kind of key when it comes to recoverability. Uh, when you look at availability, right? Um, when you look at RDS, right? Um, when you look at Oracle, PostgreSQL, MySQL, and MariaDB, on the back end to make these things available um, for replication, they, they all the white papers that I've found say that they use Amazon Tech. Whatever that is for replication within the environment. Now, Chris, do you have anything? Do you know anything deeper about this, or is that is that as deep as you get there as well? Because always able to really find there is Amazon Tech.
2: No, no, I, i I've, this is uh as far as I've gone as well.
1: Okay, all right. Um, SQL Server options—they use SQL Server Mirroring. So anyone, anyone out there knowing, you know, hey, how does Amazon do these things for Oracle, Postgre, uh, Postgres SQL, MySQL? or MariaDB a pipe up, let me know, but you know, as far as um, availability, we talked about this is how we can make our database a little more available. Um, For manageability, right, Um, so this is an interesting part where we start talking about trade-offs. So we could use an RDS instance, right, for manageability. uh, but uh, you know uh, what? What we get when we leverage RDS is a we kind of get a we kind of get placed into a box. For example, if you're leveraging SQL Server, you get up to four terabytes of storage on that SQL Server instance. That's uh, kind of one of the limits that you might look up uh, for that for that environment. Uh, you need more than that. Well, you're going to need to figure out how to get beyond that within your environment. All right, it's not the RDS isn't going to make that happen. So one of the trade-offs that you might need to figure out in your application is, okay, uh, can I? Ha- how can I do this? Am I going to have to build an EC2 instance where I'm managing storage the old way and uh, where I'm actually prov- provisioning ones and so on and so forth, or can I start to look at an environment where I can actually leverage sharding or something like that within within an application? Sharding being where I actually have, you know, multiple database instances where I'm storing data, and then my app is aware of what data is stored where. Um, you know, uh, one other one other gotcha that I found uh, with for SQL Server in particular, because that's one that I've worked with, is that uh, storage type or capacities not able to be changed. Um, and I don't know when this is uh, it, when or if this is changing, but for today, I wasn't able to change capacity or type after I instantiated my instance with an RDS, and so that can be kind of a manageability bugaboo uh, when you choose RDS. So it's important to ask yourself, does this solution match what I'm going to need to do in my environment? Performance, right? Um, So... You know one of the things we talk about is uh, when we talk about databases is data set and can it uh, can we actually get everything in there so in general uh, with RDS we try to allocate enough memory so that uh, the working set of our database actually resolve uh, resides in that memory um, you can leverage CloudWatch, uh, and you can you can Look at read I/O uh, when, you, when you look in CloudWatch. That number for ReadIO should be small, but more importantly, it should be stable. So your I/O shouldn't be jumping all over the place when you look at your, you look at your server. If it is, you might want to scale up your uh, RDS instance uh, and, and scale it up to the point where you can try to stabilize that number if possible. Now, these, these are all architectural trade-off questions. One thing that you should ask yourself is, as you scale up your environment, is my performance of the database sufficient right in the end, you need to have some sort of key performance indicator. Um, maybe it's like the number of requests your app can 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 accept you know or, or the you know the, the amount of throughput of your app so on and so on and so forth, but you need to have and identify a key, a key performance indicator that allows you to measure as you scale up within your environment um, and then um, let's see here. Oh, yeah, uh, performance uh, performance considerations for multi, um, uh, multi-AZ deployments. Um, so, rights. Remember when I talked about uh, multi-AZ deployments um, needing, um, needing to write in both sites before acknowledging their environment? Believe it or not, a single um, non-multi-AZ deployment can theoretically uh, serve a faster write than a Multi AZ deployment, right? Because what's actually happening under the covers is you're you waiting for consistency from that other site. So it's important to understand those uh, so- sorts of things. That said, regions are architected, you know, to give you very low latency. So you're really uh, you're really um you're really not too hamstrung by that by that right within an environment. So I, I would I would look at that. It's important to consider when you click the multi-AZ button, you know, it there are performance implications to doing that for your uh, for your application. Um, and you may want to consider uh, if there are right performance implications, there are there are some other ways to uh, to to ensure you know availability and recoverability of your environment if needed. Um, th- these are all architectural trade-off decisions and part of the conversation that you need to have uh, with your customer or with your you know with your group when you're actually architecting these solutions um, also provision I always always pretty good with uh, uh, for RDS um, you know it's always important to be able to control uh, the amount of i/o that you can expect um, and the great thing about provision I within your environment is that Amazon does adhere to uh, an SLA a specific a specific SLA around how they are meeting those provision IOPs, uh, and how well they meet those provision IOPs. Um, uh, I I like that from a database perspective, because a lot of times the database is the back end of your app, and it has to function at a certain type of level all of the time. Um, And then security. So here's this in my mind, this is one of the big reasons why RDS, yes, for me, right? Um, Roll your own, you're back in the... And I, you know, I don't want to say it's wrong to roll your own in EC2. It's certainly not. There are a lot of, there are a lot of really good options out there. But um, that said, if you do roll your own, you're out there managing access to your database and database services just like, uh, just like you were on prem. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But why do that if you can use RDS and just leverage IAM? Um, IAM's elegant, simple, um, and can be leveraged from the command line, uh, from, you know, can be scripted incredibly easy, um, and, and, and it's just built in with RDS. And for me, um, it's a complete thing of beauty. Um, and I think, I think that right there in a nutshell is, you know, um, when it comes to security, it's, hey, IAM, RDS, done, match made in heaven. So you know, we did a quick covering of how I look at architecting the solution through um, through leveraging something like uh, uh, something like ramps. When you talk to the or when you talk Amazonian, if that's a word, when you t- look at AWS. Um, they want you to consider cost as well. They think that that's uh, they think that that's very important, and I agree. Um, I frankly, for for all the ramps fans out there, um, and no, I didn't say Los Angeles Rams fan. That's ramps fans out there. I think what they're missing is that um, uh, is that you know ultimately cost is a huge driver in any solution, and 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 the reason why people leverage AWS is to get closer to that line of. Um, of what you actually need to use versus what you what you buy, so that you can actually go to market with your application. So, um, you know, I you know, I I think I think uh, what we what we do uh, what we do with ramps is that you know um, we take it one step further by saying, hey, it needs to kind of be cost-efficient right and amazon kind of defines how they look at their methodology by saying um, we need to be able to create systems that are secure reliable high-performing and cost-efficient that's and that's how they look at it and they've got a great white paper that kind of covers those sorts of things i got that link there that'll be in the slide deck later i recommend reading that white paper it's it's good there's that one and there's one other one that we're going to cover uh, today um, but when we talk about optimizing for costs we really talk about um, right sizing computing right um, and and that's that's important um, you know I think uh, the cheapest instance type able to run is is the right choice um, a lot of times, right? But in some cases, and this is why you need to right size and then also measure performance, right? In some cases, using a fewer, larger, more costly instances may actually be the better performance or better performing environment, right? So, um, what I recommend, like I said before, is benchmark different configurations. And I think the beauty of AWS is that you get to do that. It's pretty cost. Uh, it's pretty. It's pretty cost effective if you're spinning up and spinning down and trying things. Um, and And I like trying different configurations, right? I like saying, "Hey, what does this look like if i if I bump up the amount of memory that I have in my r d s instance? I did it when i was uh, when I was playing with my blog and I actually found that you know no i didn't need to spend any more money on this database. I could actually go smaller, which is really nice. I was actually able to show that though. Benchmarking um, in my environment, so you know it's it's really useful. Make sure that you're right sizing in your environment, but keep in mind, um, cheapest isn't always the best. You want the best performance by monitoring key performance metrics. Um, uh, Storage selection for cost, right? Um, I think. When you look at applications, everybody's like, "I want the fastest stuff possible." If you go into a, database, a data center today, uh, everybody's like, "I want all flash storage." Well the fact of the matter is you probably don't need all flash storage for you know your old logs. you know There's probably a better, a better place to put that stuff, right? So th- be, be mindful of what you're putting where. Uh, be mindful of when you're using Provision IAPs, be mindful of when you're using, uh, you know, even even man, magnetic disk. I've seen really good use cases out in the wild of people who uh, will put things on, on on magnetic storage within their environment that just don't need the performance and they're saving a ton of money. That's huge. Um, also, and this is a big one, right? And and I'm not sure about uh, where, where this is actually covered within the test rubric, but I, I know it is um, in certain points. But It's important to remember that S3 in particular offers many different storage options, and they have different costs. There's standard, there's reduced redundancy, and there's standard infrequent access. Now, Chris, talk with me about uh, uh, experiences with the exams. Um, I know that I, I, I seem to remember this coming up and in conversations about it, um, I think that you need to know. Like when I look at this screen, right? First of all, know everything here for storage, right? Like you need to know magnetic general purpose provision IOPS. That's that's a given, right? But S yes. three, that's out there as
2: well, right? It is yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the um know know the, know the number of nines uh, for for both uh, redundancy and durability um, for, for each of the S3 offerings, standard reduced, uh, redundancy and standard and frequent access have two, two different sets of, 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 um, metrics and two different sets of numbers. Uh, so, um, when you're studying, know what those are.
1: Awesome. And how are we doing on questions? I took a breath there. I know I talk fast. I got to get through these slides. We got to nope, roll. Nope.
2: We're good. We're good. You're rocking.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And then another thing, when we look at when we look at optimizing for costs, we talk about elasticity, right? And this is and this is something that I'm a big fan of. Um, I'm a huge fan of leveraging um, you know auto scaling groups for workloads when possible. But then I'm also I'm a huge fan of potentially leveraging Lambda uh, for running compute instead of actually running a service on a server, right? There's a lot of good ways to leverage Lambda these days to rethink about how rethink about how apps are actually going to be deployed. Um, you know, uh, purchasing options. Now, I'm not going to cover these because we're actually going to cover these in a late, at a later date. Um, I would just note as far as databases go, because they, they wanted me to kind of focus on that today, um, I think reserved capacity is, is a key area for database workloads. Um, the chances are you have to have your database, so if you know you have to have your database it 's not bad to figure out what you need and pay up front and save a few bucks right so optimize there uh, as far as RD, or as far as database services go um, and then you know I, I would say one thing that 's always important to know is is make sure that you know trusted advisor in case that comes up um, you know know what that is it 's a service that allows you to that allows you to optimize your environment. Um, it's it's in there in the dashboard when you log in. It's I, I believe it's a green one. Is that is it my, am I right, Chris? Am I on there? Is
2: it uh, the green. I'm actually logging in right now to find out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, no trusted advisor. Uh, it does it does some nice things around it, around optimizing for cost, optimizing perform, for performance, and and also looking at uh, availability metrics. I believe.
2: basically know that it saves you money It it proactively helps you to um, take a look at your cost and and it helps with your expenses
1: okay so we talked a little bit about so we talked about ramps wanted to jump back there I apologize for jumping back and forth through slides but I want to tie all this together we talked about ramps we talked then about um, how we can add cost to ramps right um, and what we end up with is the AWS Well-Architected Framework within our environment, right? Um, and this is this is a white paper that you need to read as well. Uh, you need to you need to read this because this is how Amazon uh, um, says you should look at uh, services and how services should be aligned to best practices within your environment. Uh, basically, it's a series of questions that cover. All of those all of those bits of ramps that we talked about, but it divides them into what they call four pillars uh, in their environment. Now, one of the thing that one one thing that um, that we say up here is the word best practices, and I put best practices in quotes, right? This is just a personal, um, personal, I guess um, annoyance of mine. Um, <coughs> there, there's no such thing as a best practice. I know, I know that, uh, I know that. Um, Everyone wants you to think that way, but really, um, as an architect, your, your job is to design an environment that meets customer requirements, assumptions, and constraints. That's, that's your job, right? Um, it just so happens there's a fundamental set of things that seem to always be true, and I think what I want everybody to take away from this is just because it seems to be true in all cases doesn't necessarily mean that it's a best practice for every implementation. So please try to think outside of the box as an architect and ask yourself, do I really need this? That's um even, e- even even at, Even at times when you think it's the type of scenario where, um, you know, sure, it's got to be that way. No, no, it really doesn't. And this is, you know, that magnetic disk idea keeps coming back into my head. Um, that was an opportunity where people were like, "Well we have to use SSD right well no they didn't need to store the type of data that they were storing on SSD in this environment and it's and they needed to you know kind of think outside the box as far as uh, as far as what they were doing with the, the database type of workload that they were working with or the or the workload that they were working with in this case okay so we talked about ramps but Amazon wants you to look at ramps as kind of what, what they call their well-architected framework, right? Um, and that's based on four distinct pillars, <clears throat> security, reliability, performance efficiency, and cost optimization, <coughs> you'll have to excuse me. Um, so uh, security, reliability, performance efficiency, and cost optimization, those are the four pillars. Um, and I think the thing that you should that you can clearly see is that wow, this really isn 't any different than ramps they 've added cost optimization and they 've put some other fancy words around reliability and performance efficiency yeah that 's right um, reliability you know that kind of comes comes with um, availability, and that also comes with you know can we recover so on and so forth and then performance efficiency is you know how well does the app perform i mean these are all these are the same things it 's really just um, trying to simplify it. I think that's what Amazon's trying to do uh, with this with this four-pillar approach. Now um, when we look at general design principles from the AWS well architected framework, uh, they are, you know, they're really simple. It's a stop guessing at capacity needs, test your systems of production scale, um, and ultimately lower the risk of architectural change or architectural change, and then automate to make architecture change easier. And uh, And eventually allow for evolutionary architectures within your environments. This is all like I said, from the white paper uh, here that you 'll see within, your, uh, with, within the slide deck here. I recommend everybody read it. Uh, key points key for understanding how Amazon wants you to architect in your environment and good for beginners to to start thinking about how we 're going to work within the environment. Now, Chris, uh, ta- as far as exam goes, do they, uh, you know, are they asking a lot of, Do they get to the point where they're actually asking questions about these sorts of things? I don't think they're actually asking you architectural questions, but I think they're asking you questions that uh, I-, I think they will ask you questions about each of these areas. Certainly, correct.
2: Yeah, it's 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 not what what are the four what are the four design principles? What is this? It's 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 you know here's here's your scenario. Um, what what are what are the decisions that that you? I mean, it'll it'll ask you to make a decision, and it'll if, if you so what, one of the things that, that I would recommend is is the AWS the, the, the two PDFs that you put up there absolutely read those through completely and and get and get to know them the cloud architecture cloud best practices security best practices um, the uh, the VPC connectivity options um, all, all the PDFs that are basically there in there for the exam prep are, are PDFs that you want to read and know um, be, because the, the questions basically come right out of there um, but not 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 word for word verbatim it's 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 the do you get the context of it but you're absolutely right
1: yeah i think you hit the nail on the head it's not it 's not do you know what the four pillars are it 's do you understand how to function within the four pillars and answer questions related to them and i right. think that's I think that 's key when you 're thinking about it so it 's more about and the reason why i 've tried to go back and give examples of each of these sorts of things in, in the presentation and, and we 'll do some more of that um, is is because I think that that's that 's kind of how they 're going to drive questions within the exam right so the security pillar um, you know most importantly uh, security everywhere I mean that's that's one of the the core tenets of AWS um, firewall and security controls on every resources every server load balancer networking subnet think of them as I trust nobody and so on and so forth and and frankly Harry the cat trusts nobody either I apologize for the meows in the background um, tra- enabling traceability right um, you need to be able to log and audit everything that happened within your environment. Um, and then automate responses to security events, right? So these are, these are, uh, this is how you're going to enable security within your environment. These are important things to know, and these are truly right out of that PDF, and they'll give you example questions that you might ask yourself of your environment that are actually pretty helpful in figuring out if you've got all of these design principles covered focus on securing your system, right? Uh, and that's really what the security pillar is about. Because you have um, Amazon covering you know, infrastructure basics for you, um, you get to spend less time worrying about, uh, worrying about your infrastructure as a whole and more time worrying about, hey, how do I make my application as a whole secure? And that's that's important. That's, that's, what, it, that's what your time should be used for uh, if you're actually deploying. Um, and then ultimately you know, automate uh, security best practices. And one of the best examples that I can leverage, that I can give you here is, hey, you know, baseline image for all your virtual uh, server images, you want that baseline image, right? Um, and you need that to be locked down and very secure. So what you do is you create that custom baseline, and then your entire infrastructure is then defined from that template in your environment. And we're going to get into uh, EC2 in a later event. This is, like I said, a little bit early on, and I wanted to I wanted to get an idea and grasp some of the concepts that we're going to be talking about a little bit later in the series. Reliability per, uh, pillar, right? Um, and this is this one's key. This is something that uh, you know I do consulting for on prem. Uh, customers who run there um, on on uh, premises data centers um, in different sites and so on and so forth and. I tell you, this is one that a lot of customers say that they can do, but they really can't do. Um, And the beauty of having cheap and plentiful infrastructure is that, yes, you can test your recovery procedures within AWS. Um, Costs should not be considered an option here, um, and nor, frankly, should infrastructure resources be considered uh, a problem within your environment. So make sure you have a recovery procedure and that you've tested your recovery procedure. After you've tested your recovery procedure, um, figure out how you can automatically recover from failures, right? And and I've got all caps, great Lambda use case here, right? So if you're monitoring key performance indicators in your environment, you know, and you know that, you know, maybe a query on a database uh, might be resulting in, you know, some some challenges here. Maybe you need to do something within your data set, so on and so forth, and you can use a Lambda function to help you with that, get after it. That's how you need to be thinking about. Mitigating and then automatically automatically recovering from failures um, attempting to build and scale uh, horizontally with cloud services that's that 's key uh, scaling uh, scaling up is certainly something you can do in your environment um, we, the instances can get huge um, uh, there were some ginormous instances that were just announced recently uh, that they that they 've looked for running um, they 've looked at for running um, Know big big time uh, customer applications in AWS, and I, I mean terabytes of memory and so on and so forth. Those those bad boys are really, yeah, those bad those bad boys are really really expensive. Do you know what the cost is on those uh, off the top of your head? List? <laughs> I mean, like it was, it it was bananas. Like the hourly cost on it, they might as well have just put an emoji of a banana
2: next to the cost because it, hold it, on, it, I'm going to spin one up right now just to see.
1: <laughs> that's your bill, my friend. That's your bill.
2: <laughs> okay. It's not in the free tier. I don't know why. It's so yeah, weird. I
1: can't imagine why it's not in the free tier. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's so, so attempt to scale horizontally. And the reason why we want to do that is because that allows us to leverage stuff like auto scaling more efficiently in your environment. If you can run a small service on a small on a small instance, and your application can be built to scale wide, then you're then you're in in a great spot for AWS uh, AWS type workloads. And then finally, stop guessing at capacity. Uh, there's no reason to guess at capacity. Uh, you know there there's all kinds of metrics that you're able to co- uh, collect within your environment if you. If you don't have all the metrics you need, there are a lot of really great tools uh, out there, like your New Relics uh, and so on and so forth, that will actually help you get into your application so that you can actually, you know, start monitoring transaction times of, uh, of you know, of your application, your web app, from you know, user click all the way back through the database. So there's not uh, there's not really a good excuse. Uh, there are tools out there to really get you really great. Deep and uh, robust monitoring. So capacity should be should be the easy part in this environment. Amazon's provided plenty of availability there, and then performance efficiency, right? Um, so Amazon uh, has done a lot of really great things with stuff like RDS, right? Uh, but they've also done uh, things, great things, with like media transcoding and machine learning, and those are really hard problems to solve at scale, right? And Amazon's done a really good job at doing those. Um, If Amazon has already done it for you, and and this is is the way that I look at almost every service that I'm thinking about deploying in AWS, if Amazon has an offering for it, I am going to try to figure out how to utilize it. Um, And that is going to be my de facto answer for it because... Why, why, waste the, why waste the technical hours trying to become an expert at something or trying to hire somebody who's an expert at something if somebody can already manage it for you and you can just pay to, pay to manage that. That's performance efficiency pillar. Um, also, be global. AWS is global. Um, think about does your app need to have global reach or regional reach to get your data closer to customers. Um, closer data to customers Equals better performing application for end users. It's, it's 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 physics ultimately. The packet has to get down the wire, and the closer the and the shorter the wire is to the end user, or in this case, the shorter the distance the user is from the cell phone tower, or so on and so forth. Um, you know, the better performing the app's going to be, right? Um, and so it's important to think about how to deploy your app along along down down the road in a global aspect. Um, Finally, leveraging uh, serverless architecture. Um, I don't really like the name serverless. It's just kind of where we've ended up as 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 a uh, tech community. You know, there are definitely servers running those things, and I think that's the thing uh, that's the thing to look at when you talk about serverless technology. Uh, tools like Lambda and so on and so forth. Those are actually running on servers. Um, your Python code is executing um, in a container on 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 Amazon's uh, platform. Um, that that in itself means that you don't have to maintain that platform, and frankly, you don't have to maintain any bit of that OS. You just have to execute your code. So that's that's bonus, right? Um, and then and then uh, and then experiment, right? Uh, because infrastructure is so cheap, and and we can gain efficiencies in our environment because uh, infrastructure is so cheap. We we gain those efficiencies by testing out scenarios on how to make our app better, right? And that's all a part of the performance efficiency pillar. Um, And then finally, cost optimization pillar, Um, you know, I I like to transparently attribute expenditures period within my environment, even if you're not doing showback or chargeback today. If you're a big organization, um, you need to know what app is costing you money down the road. Somebody is going to ask you that question. So leverage tagging there. and then use, uh, use managed services to reduce TCO. I can't, I can't say enough about stuff like RDS. You, you, should, you should always be looking at these things. Uh, finally, uh, trade CapEx for OpEx. Spin up, spin down, use auto-scaling, and then pay for only the resources that you need to consume. This is one of the core tenets of cloud, and it's, it seems obvious, but it's something that you need to remember and consider with, within your environment. Um, you know these these last two are pretty obvious. Economies of scale. Amazon's got a lot of stuff. They're going to pay less for their lot of stuff than you would if you try to build your own data center. And finally, um, uh, cost optimization allows us to stop spending money on DC ops. Um, I think there'll be a lot of arguments from enterprises who'll say, "Hey, we're always going to have to have DC ops." Yeah, I agree, but I think data centers are going to get smaller. And certainly, Amazon's cost for running at, at scale is is it's has shown that they continue to get cheaper and cheaper over time, which is which is only another reason to go to the cloud. So uh, you know, I tried to hustle. I think I'm about five minutes, uh, five minutes before the hour, which gives us time for questions. Uh, that was a lot. I talked super fast. I'm sorry. You might need a stopwatch next time for me.
2: What are you talking um, about? That was, that was fantastic. You you nailed it. <laughs> it sure was.
1: <laughs> well, well, thank you. Uh, so I know. Do we have any questions out there, or are, are there any other things that we might want to talk about? Um,
2: so the uh, the answer to your question, uh, Tim, was three thousand nine hundred and seventy dollars per hour.
1: Three thousand uh, wow. nine. So four, let's just call it an even four because that's what it is. Yeah, you know, it's thirty bucks they off. Walmart, yeah, they're like nine ninety nine. <laughs> no, no, no. That's four thousand dollars an hour, kids.
2: Wow. <sighs> yeah. That, that's that's the uh, that's the list price. You you can talk them down. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're buying that server, you're going to be talking to someone eventually anyways, right? Someone's going to knock on your door. So, yeah. Yeah,
2: yep, exactly. <laughs> um,
0: uh, Ankit has a question. Uh, Chris, you want to run with those? Oh, yes, I do. Ankit uh, says that you mentioned about you were unable to modify capacity for the MS SQL Server. However, uh AWS.Amazon.com RDS SQL Server uh, Server Details does mention about scale. Are we missing something here, or am I reading it wrong?
1: I think what I was getting at there is, uh, most importantly, I know that... uh, and, and maybe maybe I uh, and, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong here. I, maybe the service has changed, and so I apologize if the service has changed. Most importantly, but what I was definitely trying to convey there is that if you were to go with a standard uh, uh, like a standard uh, SSD type workload versus a provisioned IOPS, I think that you have trouble uh, moving between those two disks within the service. And I could be wrong there. Please fact check me. Thank you, Ankit. I appreciate it.
2: And and to, to that point, um, even if if you if you look at the uh, the notes that I made on the website for um, for, for for when I passed the exam, uh, literally two uh, back in April, the the numbers have changed dramatically even since then. Um, to, to the point where people are actually in in the notes down below correcting me with with the new numbers and and uh, literally the the, serv- the services are changing every single day um, One of the things that I would recommend is um, if you guys use stitcher subscribe to the aWS tech podcast um, it's uh, it 's about twelve fifteen minutes I, I listen to it every day when i 'm driving into the office and it, and it goes over all of the the newest changes and offerings that um, that AWS is coming out, and it's and it's uh, hosted by by two really cool guys down in Australia. It's called the it's called the AWS podcast. Right now, uh, they're on podcast episode 141, um, and uh, they were actually talking about the X1 this morning and and the uh, the elastic networking uh, capabilities, the, the new offerings. So it, it literally changes all the time on kit.
0: I don't see any other questions.
2: Can't change storage. Um, uh, Mr. Krausen has, has responded, can't change the storage on SQL Server after it's launched due to the extensibility limitations of Stripe Storage attached to Windows Server. Have to create a new instance and export the data from the original one. Uh, now you have to pay for the storage you aren't using by allocating more storage. Um uh, his and his next comment was: This was accurate as of a few months ago. It could have changed. Um, th- that was my understanding as well, Brian. Um, yep. So, but on it uh, to to everybody's point here, <laughs> the, the it, it changes nightly. So so uh, d- dig into it yourself as well. Cool. I think. Yeah, the, uh We we are clean. We are clear. Yeah. No and- others. Tim,
0: that was fantastic, dude. Tim, it well, sure you, was. Everybody.
1: I wish I had more demo, but we're just not there yet, unfortunately. I mean, we're still we're still at the basics. So thank you, everybody, for covering some basics with me today. I appreciate it. And thank you, uh, uh, V VBrownBad podcast or webinar team. This is awesome. I followed this from the virtualization days. I'm so, so thrilled that we're covering other things. I mean, this is great. I'd like to yeah. see AWS. I'd like to see some Azure stuff out here as well. This is amazing. I love it.
2: And and that's so we've we've got you know another month and a half of, of AWS stuff lined up for the cert, um, and and then there, there we're we're gonna we're gonna be spreading our wings as it were to uh, to, to cover a lot more stuff in the future. Um, cool. And and Alex says uh, it was wonderful. Thank you guys. So huzzah! All
0: right, I'm <laughs> gonna click the stop recording button, and we have stopped recording.